the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. I stand squarely behind my decision. After 20 years, I've learned the hard way that there was never a good time to withdraw U.S. forces. American troops cannot and should not be fighting in a war and dying in a war that Afghan forces are not willing to fight for themselves. Good afternoon and welcome to this edition of Lifeline. There, President Biden saying he stands behind his decision to leave Afghanistan. This despite what appears to be a significantly rapidly deteriorating situation there. Now, Biden, as you hear, has... Um, put some of the blame on Afghan security forces for the quick collapse of the country at the hands of the Taliban. And I, I guess in the uh, the larger scheme of things, as we try to kind of calculate uh, how that work out, the answer is not well at all. And you would have thought that there might have been, oh, I don't know, a plan in place. We're going to spend some time talking about what's unraveling in Afghanistan, And I realize for some of you old enough to recall some of the scenes that we saw at the airport in Kabul looked very much like the scenes that we watched 40 years ago coming out of the embassy at Saigon. It is frightening. It is disturbing. And it raises questions of what next, not only for the sake and future of the Afghan people, but broader security in the area. And as we all recall from the lessons learned of September of 2001, ironically of which we're just about to approach the 20th anniversary of in um, barely a month, uh, that was fertile ground for the staging of terrorism across the globe. A lot of it focused at the United States. Will that happen again? Many questions to unravel. Let's first get started with Dr. Glenn Mullet. He is the best-selling author of some 13 books, including Uncommon Sense and the Minister's Guidebook, offering insights from a fellow minister. His column is published weekly in over 600 publications in all 50 states. And Dr. Mullet, thanks for taking some time to be with us today. Your observations, as you've seen the photographs, the film coming out of Afghanistan, uh, your reaction. Craig, thanks for having me on, but my reaction is probably uh, very similar to yours and everybody in the country that's watched any of this on television. Uh, we all watch this. Our chest hurts. We feel like crying. We pray. We think, how in the world could this be happening? Would we ever have predicted this kind of exit from Afghanistan? Um, and no, I, I don't think any of us would have ever predicted this. Um, many of us, like myself, never wanted us to go to Afghanistan. 
uh, have been uh, a proponent of us leaving Afghanistan for years. Uh, all the lives of military people and contractors and so many people killed in Afghanistan, Iraq, all of that, uh, uh, the trillion dollars spent. Um, but I don't think any of us ever dreamed we would leave this way with the uh, the Taliban kicking our backsides practically, you know, out the door as we're leaving. So, yeah, I mean, we feel terrible. I mean, what, what person watching this, uh, uh, you know, has any has any good feelings at all? It's just a really a humiliating time for uh, uh, for our country and uh, it's a very tragic time for the Afghanistan people. In the 20-something years ago, when uh, we first engaged uh, militaristically there, uh, there was talk at the time by then-President Bush of the idea of nation-building. And I think I said on this program at the time, let's not confuse settling the score or shutting down a, a haven for uh, terrorist training with nation-building, that it was far more complicated than any of us imagined. And the aftermath of all of this, you know, perhaps unlike what happened when we went in to Europe and uh, dealt a decisive bow to the Italians, to the Germans there at the conclusion of uh, the Second World War, or the same thing in in Japan, whose anniversary of which, in fact, we just marked a couple of days ago. Uh, but there was a different set of circumstances, and the the what it took to rebuild, to win the hearts and minds of people, uh, to abandon their loyalty to what had been the Nazi system, to dictators like Mussolini and, and Hitler and so forth, is now proving to be far easier then than certainly anything that we could have hoped for in Afghanistan. And I have to wonder if there were miscalculations, in your opinion, Dr. Millett, from the very beginning in terms of just why exactly were we there? What did we expect the outcome to be? And and you, you made a comment a moment ago that caught my attention. You said nobody could have really predicted this. And yet, ironically, um, at an event earlier this year, um, former President Trump made an observation that he felt that the minute we were fully out of Afghanistan, and if he, of course, began under his administration the initial ramp up for departure, he had said that he felt the minute we were out, there was a strong likelihood that the Taliban would take over. And sadly, that observation, that prediction perhaps, has come to fruition. Uh, no question about it. They're a very patient uh, group uh, of terrorists, and they've been watching, planning, waiting, preparing, and organizing, knowing that this day was bound to come. Uh, we would get tired of losing lives and spending billions and billions of dollars. And being there, we would wear down, finally throw our hands up and, and exit. Um, and why we went there thinking that we could nation build in any Middle Eastern country is beyond uh, most Americans' uh, comprehension that we ever thought or ever tried to convince anybody that we could do that. We went with the purpose of, uh, you know, taking out Osama bin Laden uh, and wreaking revenge on those terrorists who uh, assaulted and, uh, you know, did what they did to us uh, in 2001. Uh, we could have done it much more covertly uh, instead of going uh, all out war uh, in this country. And, and so, yeah, I, we made a, a real miscalculation and... Uh, the idea of nation building, going to war there, losing so many lives, staying 20 years um, was just um, was just a bad idea. 
there has been talk in the last couple of days. Uh, now I think there's even an official spokesperson for the Taliban saying that they want an inclusive government. They even want women involved in government, that they have no intention of shutting down educational opportunities and things of that sort. Um, clearly, 20 years after the fact, it's a different Afghanistan. But I have to wonder, is it really a different Taliban? Or when I hear these remarks, we want to be inclusive, we, we want to get along, we're, we're not here to create trouble. Uh, why do I have a feeling, Dr. Mollett, that that sounds more like something coming from a Madison Avenue public relations firm than uh, sincere feelings and wishes of the Taliban? Well, here is what, uh, in my opinion, we ought to do. We're sending all these uh, soldiers over there to protect and to help with the evacuation uh, of people from Afghanistan. And I think probably uh, all of our soldiers who are there before they leave, they need to give their weapons to the women of Afghanistan. And they might have a more passionate stance at uh, 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 defending themselves and uh, and defending their nation, uh, they're going to be putting on the, the burkas and all the outfits, and uh, and uh, that what they need is uh, uh, automatic weapons hit under those things to protect themselves. And I have a feeling they might do it passionately. You know, uh, and I don't want to get off like on, on the, uh, the Second Amendment necessarily, but, you know, here's a nation of people who really could not defend themselves. You would think six million people, if they had access to um, to a weapon, would have had a better chance at at least making the Taliban think about uh, coming into that city uh, if they had had some way to protect themselves. And so, uh, you know, uh, that, that, that's just a, a sidetrack opinion that... Uh, one of the things our military could do would be give give their weapons to the women of Afghanistan and give them a fighting chance. I mean, what a terrible situation uh, the women of this country, uh, I think, are going to be in. I, I, I'm not looking for uh, – I'm not very confident in the promises uh, of the Taliban – uh, to uh, to do what they're saying that they might do. So I, I don't believe it. Here, here's a question, and, and it's largely rhetorical, but perhaps you can offer listeners some insight to this. Um, this this Taliban, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to try to really understand what we have been doing. Uh, you know, once the initial taking over of the country took place, what have we been doing for 20 years vis-a-vis uh, training of security forces and, and helping to build a government and provide some stability to the country if upon our departure, the Taliban have successfully overrun the entire country in basically five days? I mean, it took Hitler 35 days to defeat Poland, and the Taliban came in, no tanks, no airplanes, and managed to take everything over in five days. Now, I, that just really strikes me as begging the question, what have we been doing with our time and trillions of dollars for the last 20 years? The, the proof is in the pudding. Obviously, we didn't train an army, and obviously we did not build or put within them uh, a spirit or a heart to defend themselves. They re- they relied upon us. And you see that happening right here in our own country. Um, we have so many citizens in this country who now are becoming so reliant upon our country and the government for checks and welfare and for survival. And um, they've gotten to the point where uh, they don't have 
have the will to work, maintain a job, go out and get a job. And, you know, our country is suffering right now. And the pandemic, obviously, this has been a very horrible time in our nation because of the pandemic. But now we have so many people who, who don't want to work. And our nation is struggling because of that. And so because they're so dependent upon the government. And uh, in Afghanistan, we saw and we have seen a nation of people who have gotten very comfortable with the United States being there, helping them. Uh, our government would take care of them. Kabul was safe because of the presence of our military. And they were just sort of at ease at Zion. And I don't think they ever really believed we were going to leave or, that, or they didn't worry about it. And so we didn't train them. Um, uh, there's too many articles, if you go on the Internet, there's too many articles of uh, people who have served in the military in Afghanistan who said they did a very poor job at training uh, the Afghan soldiers. And it's, it's obviously true. Sad state of affairs. And uh, Justin, we thought that this was going to be over. I have a very... Um, deep abiding uncomfortable feeling that we may be seeing our problems with Afghanistan uh, just getting started in a fashion. Dr. Glenn Mollett with us today. Information available on the web at Glenn Mollett, M-O-L-L-E-T-T-E dot com and that's Glenn like Glenn Miller with two N's. Glenn Mollett Dot com. Dr. Millett, we appreciate the time and the insights. We'll have more for you on this topic as we're joined by Bob Zeta coming up around the corner. But to get you around that corner. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Our mission in Afghanistan was never supposed to have been nation building. It was never supposed to be creating a unified, centralized democracy. Afghanistan political leaders gave up and fled the country. The Afghan military collapsed sometime without trying to fight. Welcome back to the conversation. And I suppose as we're doing some of our Monday morning quarterbacking here, uh, we hear even the remarks from the president in terms of sort of framing the discussion as to what it wasn't supposed to be. But this is now leading the question as we tally the count of the loss of life. We tell you the count of the money that was spent, of the years that was spent, and then to watch it apparently unravel so quickly, then what was it supposed to be? If it wasn't nation building, and I argued at the time when George Bush was saying that, that uh, he was going to be met with some big challenges, that this wasn't like a, a Marshall Plan type rebuilding of Europe after World War II. This was very, very different, and you can't force democracy on people that have no interest in it. But if it wasn't supposed to be nation building, if it wasn't to create a centralized democracy, then what have we been doing there? And if it was simply a placeholder to make sure that the Taliban didn't once again create a playground for terrorists to ply their trade, become better at it, and then attack the West, much as they did on 9-11, whose anniversary, ironically, the 20th anniversary comes up in barely a month now, then what exactly have we been doing? And could this have been done differently? This is probably one of the most indelicate exits the United States has ever made. Let's get some insights. Bob Zadek joins us now. He is the host of the longest-running libertarian talk show in the country, The Bob Zadek Show, which locally here in the San Francisco Bay region comes your way every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m., The Answer. And, Robert, as always, a delight and privilege to have you join us. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me, Craig. You're a wonderful host. Thank you for asking me. Wow. Uh, You know, we've all been watching the photographs. I've heard uh, members of the administration and press secretary um, kind of bristle at the suggestion that the scenes out of the Kabul airport seems just eerily reminiscent of uh, the helicopters leaving the roof of the embassy building in Saigon in April of 75. Maybe the comparison um, begins and ends there, although not unlike the Vietnam War, we were in place for so many years. And at the end, the outcome that we were hoping for just didn't materialize. Um, uh, Craig, um, I have a slightly different spin. You said just a second ago the outcome we were hoping for. Craig, we were not hoping for anything. That gives our country too much credit. There was no plan. There was everything was in Afghanistan was either reactive or politically motivated. There was I never heard any president uh, express anything like here is the outcome we are hoping for. Did, did anybody who could hear my voice right now, can you recall even one leader of our country telling us what the goal is, i.e. what we're hoping for? There was no goal, Craig. I reject the concept that we were hoping for anything. We were on autopilot. There never was any hope other than other than in the immediate aftermath of 9-11, uh, the, um, the congressional authorization to use military force, which is the foundation of all that happens for the next 20 years, was very specific. It was to hunt down and to kill those people responsible for 9-11. Now, I reject even that premise, but let's give that premise a little bit of credit. How many years ago have we hunted down the people, and successfully, who are responsible for the 9-11? Now, we didn't hunt down everybody who looks like them. We didn't kill them. We didn't kill everybody who speaks the same foreign tongue as them. But the people responsible have been disposed of or rendered uh, no longer a threat decades ago. There was no goal. We were stuck. And the prob- one of the many problems that we can go on forever is... The country was never behind this war. Never. And we have learned, going back to our own founding, the British learned that they cannot win a foreign war unless they have the political support of the people. And the people know better than the leaders. The people, you and I, Craig, were never behind this war we were wiser than anybody we elected. We, the people, collectively, knew it was a mistake. A trillion dollars, almost 10,000 lives, we knew it was a mistake. We were smarter than those who want to lead us. And when the people are not behind you, the war 
any war cannot be won. That's true in Vietnam. The American people were not behind the Vietnamese war. We pulled out. The British and the Iraq Revolution, the British people were not behind the revolution, fighting the colonialists. The British lost the war. And on and on and on. When the people who are wiser than the leaders are not behind the war, it cannot be won. Let me ask you something, and I posed the same question. My previous guest had made the remark that, well, you know, nobody really saw this coming, and I, and I quickly corrected him that, in fact, I think in February or March of this year, uh, former President Trump made the observation, and, of course, he began this process of withdrawal in earnest uh, before the end of his tenure in office, and he made the remark that he felt that at any point at which we pulled out that almost instantly the Taliban would likely overrun the entire country and talk about being predictive right on the money. I have to wonder, you know, even as the administration in the last several days has been, you know, either honestly or or feigning surprise that this has gone the way it did, which makes me wonder, is is our intelligence continuing to really be that lousy? Or did we see it coming, knew it eventually was going to happen? No president wanted it to be part of his uh, legacy, so to speak. So everybody kicked the can down the road. And for whatever reason, finally, uh, Joe Biden decided, OK, I guess I'm going to be the guy and uh, and 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 basically ripped the bandage off, bandaid on bandaid off all in one fell swoop. Is it possible that we didn't see this thing unraveling the way it did? Well, we didn't see it. Who is the we? Plenty of people saw it, and I'm going to answer your question, Craig, with something that still hasn't faded from our memory, which was COVID. What does COVID teach us about answering your question? It teaches us that the executive branch, politicians, governors, mayors, and, of course, the president, they sought advice from Doctors, follow the science. Remember that? Follow the science. But what did they do? They picked the scientists who said and would stand in front of a camera and say to the American public what the politicians wanted them to say. You can follow the science if you pick the right scientists. You can follow the intelligence community if you pick the right members of the intelligence community to put them on Meet the Press. Then you are following the advice of the intelligence community, but the ones you have picked. So plenty of people knew it was coming, and their views were disregarded by those in power. So I strongly reject the premise that we, whatever we means, didn't know it was coming. As many people knew it was coming as didn't know it was coming, but the elected officials chose to listen to those who 
didn't know it was coming. Yeah, it's always always amazing to me how the ones that are responsible for making the decisions and ultimately, uh, if things go awry, the blowback is on them, that they suddenly are in the, well, we didn't know category when I, I think, you know, even the casual observer of history could put two and two together and say there has never been in the last 20 years any level of stability in that country and that this was a, a, a very fragile um, piece that was entirely centered or predicated upon the presence of American forces. The minute those forces were withdrawn, um, the Taliban, who have proven themselves to be infinitely patient, uh, would, would strike in a hot second. I think the one thing that maybe came as a bit of surprise, and we can have your opinion on this, Bob, after the break, and that is that it this unraveled like the proverbial cheap suit as quickly as it did. I mean, it took Adolf Hitler 35 days to overrun Poland. He showed up with tanks. They fought back with the cavalry, literally on, on horseback. And it took him 35 days for Warsaw to fall. And yet in this case, uh, the Taliban apparently learned a lesson from that. They did it in just five days. It's not shocking, but it is horrific. And one of the big questions that we'll have Bob ponder for us when we come back after the break is uh, what's going to happen next? We'll take our crystal ball out on this one, shall we? Bob Zadek is with us. He is the host of the nationally syndicated Bob Zadek Show, the longest-running libertarian talk show in America today. Locally in the San Francisco Bay region, you can enjoy his insights and musings with guests and thought leaders Sundays at 8 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m., The Answer. It's definitely must Listen, must tune in radio. More information about Bob, his show, his books, and other resources on his website at bobzadek.com. That's B O B Z A D E K.com. A timeout, an update, back with more as our conversation on Afghanistan with Bob Zadek continues here on KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. Our visit today with Bob Zadek, host of the Bob Zadek Show, Sunday mornings, 8 a.m. here locally on 860 a.m. The Answer. We're talking about the unmitigated disaster that was, has been, and will apparently continue to be Afghanistan. There seems to be some level of surprise, uh, at least in terms of the president's reaction and Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby looking at the events of the last few days. Kirby said this. Now, as we've talked about here many times, uh, it happened very fast. Um, And one of the things that we couldn't anticipate and didn't anticipate was the degree to which uh, Afghan forces capitulated, sometimes without a fight. Couldn't anticipate and didn't. Well, we agree on one thing. They didn't anticipate very well, but that they could not anticipate that this would be the case. Bob Zadek, what's your response to that? I mean, I I, I remarked just before the break the fact that Hitler took uh, 35 days to overrun Poland and the Afghan uh, Taliban forces did the whole country in just five days. Wow. What's my response? It's a lie. Um, Now, but let me expand. When you are... Mr. Buck stops here, you're the president, or the head of any organization, or in charge of anything, your job is to be the decider in many instances, but you don't just decide at random, you collect information, 
And then, then comes the secret, the secret ingredient. You receive information, various points of view, and now, drum roll please, you decide which opinion that you have just heard from your advisors is the correct one. In other words, you are hired, or in this case, elected, to be wise enough to pick the right advice. That's your job. And Craig, you and I, in our private lives, we are accustomed to getting what's called in everyday life, a second opinion. You get advice from a lawyer or a doctor, and you wonder, is that correct? And you get a second opinion. Well, now, Craig, now you have two opinions, and you're in a pickle, because you gotta pick one. And, if you, and you do the best you can to pick the right one. Your job is to pick the right one. And if you get it wrong more than you get it right, you're bad at your job. Well, Biden, I suspect he had available to him many advisors who had the opinion that this was going to happen. Of course he did. If he asked them, and he received that opinion, and he received other opinions that said the Taliban are paper tigers, they're not going to do anything. And Biden, and Biden alone, made a decision which he believes, applying his intellect and his alleged experience as an expert in foreign policy. He was hired to do a job, and a lot of the job of being a president it's kind of straightforward. Maybe even boring, except you get nice meals. But <laughs> sometimes it's hard. And he had a hard decision to make, and he wasn't up to it. He failed. He was a terrible, terrible, terrible president in that decision. That's the story. Not we couldn't have anticipated. That's cowardice. That's hiding behind others. Notice the use of the word we. We couldn't anticipate. That is, let's spread the blame over people whose name we will not share with you. How about somebody taking the microphone and said, my God, I didn't anticipate that. I should have and I didn't. I was really bad president today. How about saying that? Not hiding behind the we. What a lot of nonsense. What a lot of cowardice. Yeah, there's there's a fair amount of intellectual dishonesty there, to be sure. And again, we know that there have been times when uh, the, the intelligence community doesn't always bring forth the most accurate information, and sometimes you have to wonder if there are uh, darker forces that are helping to manipulate some of that information to drive American foreign policy in one direction or another. I won't go to there to speculate for the moment, but I, I think clearly this. This was a significant miscalculation and now it begs a pretty significant question and that is we're watching things unravel like a cheap suit <sighs> bob how bad could this get in your opinion i mean and not just for the sake of the afghan people who've already suffered a lot and apparently have got more suffering in their in their near future but but could this wind up becoming what it once was and that is once again a, a very fertile ground for uh, terrorist uh, training and, and and evil doing across the globe 
You asked about four questions there. I'll do the best I can to answer each one to the best of my ability. First of all, you said, how bad can it get? And I say, I see it 100% opposite than you. I say, compared to yesterday, compared to the last 20 years, it can only get better. Because we're not spending a, we're not spending a half a trillion dollars every ten years, and we're not killing Americans for a cause nobody cares about very much. So I say it only gets better. It gets better and better and better and better. Now I define better as better what's good for the country, what's good for Americans. I pay my taxes to America, not to the UN, um, and I expect America to defend me, not the UN. So therefore, from the standpoint of the country that I proudly take allegiance to, things can only get better. Now, it may be things will, and probably, things will be worse in Afghanistan. They're worse in the Sudan. They're worse in Ethiopia. They're worse in China. They're worse in Russia. And on and on and on. They're worse in every autocratic government around the world. They're getting worse in Cuba, getting worse in Venezuela. Should I continue or should I indicate it doesn't matter to me as an American, as a voter, whether things are getting worse around the world. I only care about how it affects America in representing my values. Is my country keeping me safe and is it encouraging the ideals we believe in? Not imposing with a bayonet and a gun, but encouraging with diplomacy and by setting an example of a better way to live and a better way to organize society. That should be our role in the world, the role that our first president, George Washington, recommended in his, in his parting address after the end of his second term. We should be a friend to all, a beacon as to setting an example, but not imposing our will. So frankly, if Afghanistan is an example of what the future holds for us, I am profoundly optimistic about tomorrow. You have touched on an issue which is a personal pet peeve of mine, and this is uh, th- this notion that somehow we can impose our will on other nations. Uh, to be sure, it, particularly if you ask uh, an American who is uh, offering the opinion on this topic, uh, that our form of government, our style of democracy is superior to all others. Uh, I'm inclined to uh, concur with um, uh, Winston Churchill, who once opined that uh, democracy was the second worst form of government, all others being first. That said, we cry foul when at the opposite side of a gun, communists try to force their brand of government on others. And we say this is terrible. People ought to be given a choice. How dare you impose this form of government on an unwilling people? And yet, even as much as we delight and revel in the notion that our form of government is superior to all others, there have been times, and this is probably example, exemplary of one, when we have essentially tried to enforce or impose our will for democracy upon other people who never sought it, never asked for it, never inquired about it, never called Washington and said, hey, can you send some folks out here and teach us how democracy is done? Um, be that 
or were that the case, things might have gone vastly different in Vietnam as well. And here we sit all those years after watching the Chinook helicopters depart the roof of the embassy in um, Saigon. I've been to that building, and um, we've not one inch closer to democracy in that part of the world than we were in April of 1975. So with the big mistakes that have been made here, we'll take a brief time out and uh, get some closing remarks from Bob Zadek, host of the nationally syndicated Bob Zadek Show. Check him out online at bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. A time out. Back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. The economic cost of our involvement in Afghanistan the last 20 years is a clear one. The more difficult number perhaps to really wrap our mind around is the human cost. Michael Kessner reports. The human cost is terribly high. More than 172,000 Afghans, Americans and others have been killed. That includes nearly 6,300 U.S. service members and contractors, 66,000 Afghan troops and police, and over 47,000 Afghan civilians. More than 51,000 Taliban and other opposition fighters have died. The human cost also includes 444 aid workers and 72 journalists. I'm Michael Kastner. The Russians, as we know, historically got embedded in a war there that lasted a decade. We beat that by double the amount of time. And as we're learning from our guest today, Bob Zadek, um, this is a situation where maybe we just need to uh, count our losses and simply move on, that now that we are out um, from the perspective of what's best for America, it can only get better. But I have to wonder, Bob, at the end, this this seems to be uh, on the bigger scale of, of American miscalculation and, and lousy foreign um, Policy, uh, yet uh, what was the the, the line that uh, they used to share between uh, Laurel and Hardy? Here's another fine mess you've gotten us into. Um, if you had a crystal ball, and I understand you don't, but if you did, what do you see being the next move here? Uh, what is going to be pushed for by some groups within the United States? And is there anything that we can do to unravel the mess that we've created? Or is it best just to cut our losses, as we apparently have, and and move on? Um, there's lots we can do to cut our losses. Uh, first of all, let's put Afghanistan in an almost totally forgotten perspective. Uh, and I'm going to do so reminding us that the lockdown, the despised lockdown we suffered a year ago, let's remember it was sold to us as 15 days to stop, the, to bend the curve. No one even remembers that, Craig. That's right. We were supposed to be in a lockdown for 15 days, bend the curve, and then back to normal. 15 days became a year. Uh, so in terms of what's in store for us, the war in Afghanistan was not a freestanding event. It was part and parcel of a bigger war, the war on terror. Now, to answer your question, you have to answer the bigger question, when will the war on terror 
ends. Now, that's, don't bother, Craig. It's impossible. Because how do you define victory? What will victory over the war on terror look like? Will it be, okay, an announcement, the last terrorist just died. We can close up Homeland Security right now, close up TSA. The last terrorist we ever reckoned, he was living in Afghanistan or living in Pakistan, an old age home, and he just died. We just won the war on terror. That's, of course, absurd. So, therefore, we are in a war that cannot be defined as ending. There is no matrix by which you measure it. Why don't we measure it by, well, we haven't had an attack on our shores in in 10 years. Let's declare victory and go home. Until this country declares the war on terror to end, there is no other end in sight. And there will be other Afghanistan-type adventures in furtherance of this wonderful invention that... Those who are hawkish about foreign policy love is the war on terror. Remember, the country has to always have an enemy so it can get the the American public behind it. So it will only end when somebody has the courage and the wisdom to declare an end on the war on terror. Then we will have achieved victory, and then we will have the first day of a new era. So, essentially, we say this chapter may be closed, but the book has uh, yet to be concluded. Future chapters will be written. The likelihood of ever reaching a point in the world where all terror of any sort whatsoever ceases and we all reach across the globe and sing Kumbaya together, that's probably not going to happen. And, you know, maybe one of the biggest concerns is to, to watch for the hawks, as you say, what may transpire next. And I am eerily reminded of remarks made by um, former President Eisenhower and I think what was essentially his uh, uh, his final speech before he left office. And he warned of the dangers of the military-industrial complex complex um, let us ever be mindful that um, war is not only horrible but it's also big business and uh, let's hope that for business reasons we don't find ourselves back in this mess yet once again bob zadek will uh, continue to unfold topics like this and others important ones that we need to think about talk about discuss develop opinions on and uh, exercise our constitutional rights on his show, The Bob Zadek Show, heard every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m., The Answer. Robert, as always, we appreciate the time and the insights, and we invite listeners to check out your program and more details, too, on the web at bobzadek.com, B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K dot com. Six o'clock from the mighty KFAX San Francisco, all 50,000 watts rolling your way tonight. Let's see where things might be rolling on the highways. We get the latest from the KFAX Traffic Center. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.